somebody had posted like a, a BuzzFeed article about the creepiest things left in houses. And one of them was the handbook for the recently deceased. And then I realized that that person had no idea what Beetlejuice was. <laughs> and then I realized how old I actually was. No, I got here early. And I kind of wanted to whip out my obelisk, but I did not because it's scary in this place by yourself. <laughs> it really, really is. I didn't even go to the bathroom until you guys got here. Incorporated in 1875, proclaimed as the city of destiny, Tacoma has maintained itself as the city of grid. Tacoma kept its in-your-face artistry and individuality that sets it apart from anywhere else in the world. Our never-say-die attitude continues to this day. We are honored to bring to you those who live in Tacoma and its surrounding areas, whose contributions are what bring this city to life. The reputation is real. Welcome to the Grid City Podcast. Here are your hosts. Welcome to the Grit City Podcast. I am Justin. I'm Scott. I'm Jeff. And there's no Brogan today because he's got a nerd herd down at uh, Wizards Keep Games. If you want to go see Brogan, you can do so. WizardsKeepGames.com. There's a slight plug right there for him. Yeah. I don't know the address. <laughs> do you know the address? No, he would know, but he's not here, so you can Google it. <laughs> he's really good at those numbers. He's like really good. Yeah. I mean, it works because he works. I mean, he works there all the time, so I guess that kind of works out. He would pull malarkeys out of his ass like that all the time too he'd be like four, really four, five or whatever yeah he was really good at that that's funny uh thank you guys everyone for showing up this is gonna be fun because this is actually the start of a two-part episode what yeah we've got a guy coming up real soon named josh who works for the community emergency response team and uh this is a guy who uh essentially he works with volunteers and other people to get ready for the disaster preparedness so you know when the big one's gonna happen that uh that you know it's gonna go down and so you one. want to be prepared for that sort of thing. And uh, to that note, uh, very, very soon we'll have him on. I want to do uh, some stuff beforehand. First off, um, if you guys want to check us out even more so, we've got our Instagram page. There's more stuff for him to look yeah, at? Yeah, you can check out the pictures that Jeff makes of uh, like us right now, all in our hoodies with the, hey, Jeff. Our, ears, our ears covered by our headphones and freezing our asses off in this haunted place. It is. <laughs> that is something we might have to talk about. No, no, no. We're bringing it up. We're Bringing, yeah, okay. we're bringing this up. Um, but also, uh, the Instagram is just grit. Is it grit city or is it grit underscore city? I should probably pay attention to these I things. Think it's grit city podcast. Yeah, grit city podcast. Perfect. And then grit underscore city for the Twitter yeah, account. The Twitter's the only dumb one. Yeah. And then, I mean, seriously, if you just go to gritcitypodcast.com, you can find out all that information, find our old episodes, find the people who have been on, our wonderful advertisers, the places that you can go check out. And also, we have our Patreon, dun, dun, dun. which is is just patreon.com slash grit city podcast. That's where you can go and select multiple tiers based on how much you want to give us money because doing this is a fun hobby, but also we want better equipment and, uh, you know, just some of those other things to kind of help us out maybe so we can rent out places to have live podcasts, do things that really incorporate more and more of the fun stuff that we want to do. Yeah, man. That's what I wanted to do is kind of make it more of a community thing. I really li 
love doing the um, the comedy shows, but sometimes they just they didn't work out. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I think this is a great opportunity. Is someone ringing the doorbell? Or is yeah. That, yeah, Jeff. Jeff, are you fucking with things. Jeff, what are you doing over there, man? Are you getting likes on Instagram I'm right now? Lit up on Uh-oh. my phone. I hear it. Ding, ding, ding. Anyway, I thought the Patreon would be a cool, <laughs> cool, cool chance for everybody to uh, um, that we could share things with our listeners. So you can get shirts. Yeah. You can get hoodies. This is how you get those sweet Grit City Podcast hoodies done by the Shroom Brothers. Uh, if you want the t-shirts or the hoodies, you can do so. We've got multiple tiers. If you just want to maybe give us you know, a buck an episode, you can do so. And you can go all the way up to the business class, which uh, the Bacon Savior himself uh, did so. That would be Jason at Castle Sec Pro. And I don't know if you know about Castle Sec Pro. I don't. No, the Castle Security and Protection, their security firm that we've had on a couple of times, uh, providing services to business owners in the greater Seattle area. They've got years of law enforcement and security experience. They saved Brogan's life. Uh, Jason actually saved him from choking. So... And actually, not only that, but he told Brogan, hey, these are the problems you have at your place. And then those problems occurred. Yep. And so they were able to help. He even helped him install the uh, the gate so people would stop breaking into his place. So they can provide you with in-depth evaluation of your company's security measures, as well as identify those vulnerabilities that will uh, hopefully prevent you from getting your place <laughs> robbed, or at least it will stop them from just going right on in on it, and uh, obviously resulting in those financial losses. If you want to set up a consultation and get more information, Call Jason at 206-659-5992, or you can visit CastleSecPro.com, because if it's CastleSexPro.com, you're going to be going to a different place. Whoa. Yeah, it's just a letter off right there. I saw that, and I kind of giggled about that. Um, but he is one of those people who are uh, very gracious into uh, giving into the Patreon. And so that's one of those things that we'll do, is we'll talk about your, your business and... Uh, and probably not make fun of it. No, it's the easiest way to get an ad, right? Like, yeah, honestly. yeah, yeah. And I mean, we're doing other uh, advertising stuff if you want to as well. Um, but just all of that stuff, it helps us. Uh, we're looking to get better equipment um, so we can do more of the live stream stuff, so we can have parties, so we can not sound like we're in a uh, tunnel all the time. Yeah, new microphones would be nice, man. Right? I have one really good microphone that I took over for myself. And uh, the rest of them, it'd be kind of cool if everyone had a really nice one. Too. Yeah, whatever. Nobody notices. Now, before we get to our uh, our community emergency response team member, Josh, uh, I did find. Now, this is really cool. Was somebody read a post. Yeah, somebody yes. actually talked about us. Oh. What? Yeah, so Scott, you do post in the Tacoma subreddit, which is just reddit.com slash r slash Tacoma. I do. Uh, and when people aren't making fun of people making Toyota Tacoma posts there, uh, they're generally not responding to the posts that you make for the Grit City Podcast. Yeah, most of the time we get some thumbs up, but nobody comments. Yeah, but then we did get one, and this is basically, this is in response to the Tacoma Sun episode that we had recently. So there was a person named Astro Kitty. No, Astro Caddy, not oh. not Kitty. So Caddy, Caddy, with yes, the, with the K, or with the K, with the K, okay. um, who left a post that was saying uh, these guys talk about how abandoned downtown the late seventies and early eighties, basing their ideas on these pictures taken on some Sunday morning in the late seventies, and then he makes a post and it shows uh, a bunch of the pictures of uh, it was downtown Tacoma, and it was it did look uh, it it did look abandoned, but also on that same sort of. 
like it was a photo shoot sort yeah, of thing. They were so, black and white, right? Uh-huh. And they were there. A lot of them are close ups, you know, and so they they're meant to kind of show, you know, the distress downtown. There's a lot of broken windows, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he took umbrage to that, and then maybe the guy's talking about it, but he wanted to give his own perspective on it. So he went on saying, uh, "But I lived in downtown then, and abandoned isn't what downtown was then at all." In fact, it was hopping, but with a lots uh, with lots of low end retail and bars. It was more like Broadway up in Seattle during the same period, but yes, grittier. And it smelled. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was Tacoma. They had the Asarco plant. They had all of the stuff going out on the docks and all of that. So it makes sense. Nonetheless, Tacoma downtown had a thriving gay scene, pre-AIDS, a lot of divey-type bars that were busy AF, thrifts, small groceries, pawn shops, and small manufacturings along Dock Street and elsewhere in the area, an actual functioning fishing fleet, uh, which in parentheses says those two storage sto- uh, story storage lockers on the other side of the Foss Waterway were built as net sheds, along with the marina adjoining to serve Tacoma's fishing fleet then. So that's kind of cool. Uh, Totes, working class. It was as far from abandoned as it got. Pacific Ave was like a big party on Saturday nights in those days. He left Tacoma in 1981 and lived in Europe for most of the rest of the 80s. And when I came back in 88, I was blown away at what had happened to the downtown when I was gone. Everything he remembers and looking forward to experiencing again was gone. So this really happened in the early 80s after he left. So between 81 and 88 is when it really happened to him. And he said that by then, downtown had become a ghost town. It wasn't so before. The city killed the downtown with a misguided urban renewal, the kind of urban renewal that killed downtowns across the country, and it remained dead for years after, right through to the 90s. It's only come back in the last 15 to 20 years, and the only reason it did was because the state and the feds made that the graft plant cleanup in its uh, its act in the late 90s. Uh, just talking about the mill on the Tide Flats was uh, the Tacoma Aroma, and that was really what it was a lot of the times, and that's where people still talk about it, man. I was yeah. at uh, I was at a show uh, at the Tacoma Comedy Club, and someone from the crowd was just like, Tacoma Aroma! Yeah, everywhere you go, you hear it. And it's always the joke with that, and it's not really that bad anymore. Every once in a while, it'll get you. Uh, he went on to say, uh, in the mid-'80s, the city tried to get some boutique retail developed around the old courthouse. And it failed. And then the reason it stunk so bad, nobody from out of town would try to visit it for the comeback. So, yeah, that's the recent history of our old downtown in a nutshell. So I don't think the Tacoma Sun guys were that far off because that's kind of no. what they said, right? In, in they exact, said that yeah. downtown was kind of busy. Maybe they were off by a decade. They had the wrong you know, years in there. But, but it, it's fun to get that feedback, too. I love yeah. hearing the stories of the people who have been in this area because you don't get that a lot of the times. So it's, it's fun to hear that. So if you guys have, like, any sort of feedback and not just honking a horn out there at us, but it would just be, hey, what's going on? Uh, or this is really what was going on. Or this is how I experienced uh, uh, Tacoma in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, even, you know, the, 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 the 2000s and the 2010s. Like, what has been the change for you? I'd love to hear that stuff. So, like, info at gritcitypodcast.com. And send us some messages on that. Yeah, I mean, or comment on fun. the Reddit post. Yeah, exactly. Like, post on Reddit every week. So And... Uh, Hey, Jeff, have you gotten any more ghosts? Why were we talking? I put it on silent. Yeah. Oh, man. So what do we got now? So as soon as what we... What was that noise? Did you hear that? That was me. That was him just man, hitting, hitting freaking me <laughs> <laughs> So the most interesting one is when when I put my uh, uh, camera down by the empty beer bottles, it said drank. Oh. 
And then it told me to remove. It said remove. <laughs> Get rid of so it. Oh. And it seems to like our shoes. It keeps on saying shoes. I got my Converse on. I don't know what everybody So what are you using? You have an app on your phone that looks yeah. up uh, like the EVP or ESP or EBBBD. Yeah, the iOvilus. The, the Ovilus. They do make a hardware version of the Ovilus that does about the same thing. That oh. sounds like some occult stuff right there, Jeff. But it said that we're, we're definitely not alone. There's like a hundred. They said there are a hundred here. And it said fear and... Ah. Don't, you know, you all the creepy ones. But it was creepy earlier, dude. I went upstairs to get coffee and probably a beer. and um, Well, <laughs> a cider. And uh, when I was walking through, I swear I heard somebody walking, like walking by. And, and I turned around. That's when I came down and I was like, there's nobody here. But I swear somebody was just walking. And I'm not a big believer in ghosts. Right? Oh, I totally. I buy into it. I, I, when we do the ghost tours with Andrew, I'm totally like hook, line, and sinker for all of it. It was really creeping me out, though. I was like... That was creepy. <laughs> I had one person uh, I was hanging out with uh, the other day where I was just, and I was just like, I'm telling them like, yeah, I'm in on this. And here's the things that I've had to experience. Oh, I've hung out at certain places in Tacoma and you feel that sort of thing. And I've talked about working at the Tacoma Road Center back in the day where it feels like there's a presence there. And I wouldn't go down to a certain area. Uh, I'd go there at the beginning of my shift at 10 p.m. And then I would do it at the end at 6 a.m. And then in between, yeah. Nope, not happening. I'm not going down there because it's creepy. Because See, this is the first time I've ever been creeped out in this building. First time ever. This is great. <laughs> I love this stuff. We got to get Andrew down here for this. Uh, yeah. So I think that'll be the next time that we go for that. But I guess we need to actually talk about um, real disasters and not the paranormal. Oh yeah. It'll be a good time for us now to introduce our guest who has made it here. We are with Josh Shelton today with the Community Emergency Response Team. Josh, how are you doing this fine Sunday morning? Just fine. Thank Thank you very much. Like, seriously, thank you so much for coming out here because um, this is kind of an interesting thing to go about because, like, natural disasters um, don't necessarily happen that often here, and uh, especially in this area that, I've, uh, you know, but everyone does expect something along the lines of this to happen. And what does, uh, what does the community emergency response team do to kind of help that sort of thing? Well, the community re emergency response team is, and CERT as it's called, it's mm -hmm. a volunteer group. I'm more so associated with City of Tacoma Emergency Management. Go ahead and walk, yeah, just right up into it. And so that's, that's one of our volunteer organizations within the city. So as a community emergency response team member, you could potentially be uh, preparing for a disaster any way you can before first responders arrive. That's really the whole point of the training. And the okay. training is about 20 hours. We do three to four classes per year. And you learn different things such as fire safety, utility safety, like what to do if there's a power line down on your car, some interesting things like that. And actually, that's really good to know because we recently just had the windstorm, and you don't necessarily consider that, oh, like a natural disaster sort of thing, but you need to have this training because something like that could happen. And then you get the random people walking up and saying, oh, you know, there's a power line that's down right there. I should just walk by it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Definitely steer clear of those. And you make a great point that we also try to make as well. It's not always going to be the big earthquake. It could be an ice storm on the highway. It could be the windstorm like you like you saw. Now we know tornadoes can hit this area yeah. pretty significantly. That used to not be something I talked about at all, like hurricanes, <laughs> and now now we have to worry about one more thing apparently. So that was that was insane. I remember um, sending a video to my wife uh, and just showing it because she's like, "That's not something that happens." And I'm like, "No, here is the people sitting in the Walmart parking lot saying." 
well, this is happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we like to prepare for, for anything, whether it's the city or the CERT team. We call it the all hazards approach. Mm-hmm. So you can't have a different plan for every possible thing that could ever happen. It's just... That, I mean, yeah, that, it, possible. that makes sense in, the, in those sort of terms. You have kind of something that will uh, encompass everything just in case one of those things happen. Yeah, of course. And each disaster will have its unique issues to address, but there's the core preparedness that you're going to want to uh, be ready for anything when the time comes. What is the history of CERT? Is this, uh, how, how long has uh, CERT been going on? CERT's been around since the 80s. Okay. It started in Los Angeles, and I think as a response, response to some of their earthquakes. Mm-hmm. And then that became a federal program. So there are several CERT programs throughout the area and across the nation as well. So some CERT programs, uh, members will participate with the fire department. We don't integrate like that, but we do staff some events. Like we had a CERT team for the Hilltop Street Fair, for example. Okay, so okay. it's not always just disaster response. You know, there's a, it's a trained workforce that does have some skills that can help in event management, Freedom Fair, that kind of thing, and some other volunteer opportunities. And how did you get uh, come to uh, become involved with CERT? Well, I was actually taking the class. I transitioned into the profession of emergency management in the last couple of years. So okay, I was just trying okay. to get some experience. I worked at the American Red Cross and the biomedical world previously. But oh, wow. And that led me to some volunteering with disaster relief. And then I was trying to just get some time in so I could pursue a new career in emergency management. I was taking the CERT class, being instructed by my now boss, Uta, who is the emergency manager of Tacoma. So it was just good timing and, you know, that... Nice. Class led to my current job, so win-win for that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, um, you did talk about uh, the, like you, you try to get there, or not necessarily get there, but you are there uh, as the emergency crews or as the first responders might be. So if something is happening while you're there, uh, someone with CERT training is, uh, like if, if you see it happen, you're there and you can kind of coordinate. Now, how do you, what do you do before the first responders get there uh, as a group of people? Yeah, that's, that's exactly the, the goal of the program it if there's a big disaster it might be several days and we're even training up to two weeks before first responders may get to you wow okay what's going to realistically happen if there was a large earthquake the fire department they're going to canvas the neighborhood they're going to go to the you know life-threatening emergency situations just because you don't have power and you're stuck in your home if you're safe yeah. Not going to die. You're going to have to, you know, hang tough for a while. Yeah, and that's kind of a misconception. You know, first responders are overstaffed as it is. You know, if there are several fires at once, that could certainly stretch our capacity. If the whole city is having some trouble, it's they're going to really have to triage and focus on life safety and major property damage and issues before they get to the general public. So, as a CERT member and as any community member. You want to be able to sustain yourself for potentially Mm -hmm. a few days, if not more. So we certainly want to focus on having food, water, disaster supplies, have yourself taken care of. And as a certain member, the goal is to help you organize, start to mobilize your neighborhood. And even if you don't have other cert team members around you 
you might be the coordinating person for your block, for example. So you, a big part of it is, you know, checking utilities in the area, make sure there are no leaks, check on people that might need some extra assistance. Maybe there's an elderly lady that, you know, isn't going to be able to get out of her home. Uh, Maybe there are some small children that might need some help. So just being mindful of your neighborhood and maybe some special needs or concerns in the area. And I think that's a really good point just to make. uh, I, I, I mean, I've already said it a million times on this podcast, but I recently just bought a house in Tacoma. And one of the things I made sure to do, and I didn't necessarily do when I was a renter, which thinking back on it, I really should have done anyway, uh, was introduce myself to all of the neighbors, at least the ones that are like all around me. And it was just a simple thing. I was like, hey, I'm going to have a housewarming if you would like to come over. But even just getting to know their names on their front porch or talking with them every once in a while, getting to know your neighbors is really essentially like a first step when you're doing this sort of thing. Because like you just said, you need to know which neighbors, A, may be able to help you in certain things, be able to do certain stuff. Like one of my my neighbors works in construction, so I know he can actually lift this stuff and do some helping out. But we have some of the older ones as well who have been living there for almost 60, 70 years at this point. And you're going to need to know that they're the ones that might need help first because they might have the medications they need or all those sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a big part of it, just being familiar with people's skills. A lot of people have a lot of unique abilities that you might not know about, whether it's a doctor, a nurse, construction, like you said. Um, and we actually do have a program that's put on by the state. It's called Map Your Neighborhood, and I've coordinated some. Oh, neat. And basically, it's just doing what you described. You hand out flyers, invite your neighbors, whether you know them or not, to your home, and... Yeah, I've done these maybe 10 to 15 people and your neighbors come over, you watch a video that is basically like cert. It's kind of the boiled down 90 minute video version and it follows a disaster scenario. And along the way you pause and discuss, you know, some of the capabilities in your neighborhood and you know, it's called map your neighborhood. You do actually draw out <laughs> your neighbor's houses. Sweet. So you and identify where utilities are, different things like that. But Overall, the bigger point is, just like you mentioned, become more familiar with your neighbors. When the time comes, you'll work better together. We practice the same thing in emergency management. We're always coordinating with each other. You don't want to meet these people for the first time in an emergency situation. Right, you exactly. want to be familiar with each other, have those points of contacts, and be able to kind of seamlessly transition into a functional team when this, <laughs> when this happens. You know, we don't expect residents to be experts, but just a little bit of training goes a long way with reducing panic, helping you get through that situation until professional help can arrive. Hey, it's Justin for the Union Club in Tacoma. And what is the Union Club? At the heart of it, it is a co-working space that is nice enough to let us actually record here, which is awesome. It is a spot where you can get a cafe membership, which is meaning that from 9 to 5 in the morning, you can have yourself a working space all the way up to your own private office. One of the beautiful things about this is that all levels of members get the beautiful view. They have print, scan, and copy services with internet and utilities included you can get a incoming mail service so if you need a business address it's right there free coffee tea and purified water access to the conference room and of course all of the monthly events if you want to hold your own event anybody can do so but with membership you get a cheaper pricing which is always good if you want some information or to schedule a tour head over to www.unionclubtacoma.com this is also where you can get links to their social media and 
you can see pictures of the location, how much personality this place really, really has, how awesome it is, and then maybe get yourself a tour. Again, check them out at unionclubtacoma.com. You just said like reducing panic and it just made me think it's like one of the worst things you can say to someone when everything is going down is, hey, calm down. <laughs> like, like, do you know any like just simple ways to like try to take control of a situation or at least stop everybody from freaking out? Yeah, and it is interesting. It turns out in reality, people are less likely to just freak out. They're more likely okay, to okay, okay. become a little more paralyzed i might say oh um, yeah okay not, good call yeah don't want to do the wrong thing so most people aren't you know exceptions to every rule running around you know, <laughs> screaming the majority are <laughs> i just watched the the fire festival document uh, documentary and it was like these all these like youtubers and instagram people stuck on an island and no it went lord of the flies really 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 fast so i mean i'm, I'm hoping like normal people won't do that but gosh man it was like people like stealing beds out of tents and like i was like come on guys really you really need to do this i'm not saying it can't happen and that's not the, the overwhelming response from the public. People do that, though. Yeah. But so just like a general way is just to kind of like maybe get people to um, go like, hey, it's like, I know that you're paralyzed with fear, um, but well, maybe not tell them that. Yeah. OK, Scott. But like, it's just like, OK, do this, like give them a small task to do to kind of get them into it. Yep, absolutely. And it might not even be fear. It might just be not knowing what to do. So a big part mm-hmm. of my job in city government is providing that information, you know, whether you've been trained or not, or you're ready or not. If there was an earthquake or a major situation here, it is up to us to communicate in every way we can to ensure that you have some direction. So if people don't know what to do, they'll start just coming up with things on the fly. It may or may not be the safest thing for them. <laughs> and eventually that could lead to you know people stealing from each other like mm-hmm. once you're truly in a desperate situation. So it's up to us as the fire department, as the government, law enforcement to ensure that we're communicating with these people to let them know if they should find a shelter, if they should stay inside, uh, what to expect, you know, how long it's going to be. So you've seen it on TV where, you know, the alert messages come on and we're, we're doing more and more things with cell phones, trying to reach people in other languages uh, sign language, all different. So how, how, yeah, how is that working out for you guys? I mean, there is like, we, it's a bit of a melting pot here and we have from all over many different languages. Uh, and then, I mean, uh, I know that there's just from, from all reaches and it's kind of hard to kind of pinpoint down specific languages. Um, I know that, uh, is a lot of pictorials or stuff like that, or how are you figuring that out? Yeah, there we're right in the middle of those challenges and we don't have it solved quite yet. It's an ongoing process. I'm personally involved with Pierce County and some work groups that are trying to meet with different groups like Korean Women's Association, Central Latino, to find out how some of these cultures that are not native English speakers are actually receiving their information. Mm -hmm. Not everyone's going to trust government officials. They might trust their church groups or different organizations or community leaders. So we want to make sure we're getting information to those people that they can pass on to uh, other members of their community. And as far as the languages, we, we are required by law to get emergency communications out to for Tacoma, it's the top 10 languages. It's basically 
if it's 5% of your population or oh, okay, okay. a thousand people, something like that. So we do have a specific list of languages for this area, which amounts to 10. Seattle, I think, has 40 languages that meet, wow. meet okay, that yeah. criteria. So you can imagine sending out an evacuation warning. You just can't do it in 40 languages. No, and no. So we're really trying to reach... Different avenues follow different ways to get this it, information. It out. just essentially reminds me of the uh, one placard you get in, uh, like an electronics piece you get that has every single language, and it's just one info sheet, but it's done exactly like forty different times. It's just, it's, it's hard to do with a company that makes a million dollars or you know millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, but then you're using this as with the government funding and trying to make sure and allocate the money in the correct way. It makes it kind of hard for that. Yeah, absolutely. And we are looking at pictograms. I know Japan uses that system pretty mm-hmm. successfully and things like you know, Google Translate, some of those apps, they're, they're getting closer. They're not quite accurate enough to where we can legally use them i mean it gets the point across you're, yeah. you're welcome to use whatever apps you want <laughs> but we as a as a government can't quite rely on those yet but we work closely with partners like that trying to work this out so it's it's not easy but it's certainly something that we're very mindful of and you know we do what we can we'll follow our plans and just do it on the spot if we need to so Hopefully people, and that's part of being prepared, if you yeah, you can rely, get by a little longer if you, you know, maybe didn't get that <laughs> message or, you know. Or just trying to figure yeah. out and wait and see what's and going on. Rely on your neighbors. That'd be another example of just being familiar with, you know, if you know mm-hmm. there's a not, non-English speaker on your block that maybe they didn't get the message or, they, you know, they don't have a TV or a cell phone. So. You, spread, you want, spread the word. And that's not one of those things, too. It's like, um, and, and I know it's really hard for me because I have a bit of social awkwardness and I, I feel weird going and just talking to people. And especially when you're trying to bridge something like that, or if you've got a neighbor who you've maybe never literally seen, you know, out of their house and it's trying to engage with those people. And it might just be as simple as just leaving a note or something and saying, hey, uh, you know, if you've got any questions or anything, please say something. Please come, you know, come and say hi. Yeah, but you've talked to your new neighbors. Right? Uh, yeah, it wasn't that bad, right? You're no, no, they were great. See, but there's there's one neighbor that I've seen exactly once. I didn't even realize someone actually lived there until I saw him get his mail one time. That the same that's, time I was. That's a great neighbor right there. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm just, kidding. <laughs> just joking. Yeah, and that's not unusual. But the more you know about your neighborhood, the better. And mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, in this transitional nature of people's lives just they move they don't bother to meet their neighbors or you know people drive into their garage shut the door and yeah and you know that's okay when the time comes it's human nature to help those people even though oh yeah maybe absolutely you haven't yeah. <laughs> talk to them but you know if you can run into them in advance and like i said that map your neighborhood program that's a good opportunity yeah. to have a, a legitimate invitation instead of just that weird guy down the <laughs> down the road <laughs> inviting me to his house for some reason hey would you like to come over why no reason i mean we're just mapping the neighborhood <laughs> what a little more information please uh we're talking with josh from the community emergency response team that is cert uh and we're just trying to like talk about tr- keeping yourself prepared and um really when maybe not the big one is going to happen but a a problem in your neighborhood in your community and where can people find out more information if they just want to browse and maybe find out where some of the training courses are happening? Yeah, absolutely. If you just search Tacoma CERT, 
we've got a website. It's a little outdated, and for that, I apologize, <laughs> but the information's there. And you can always email me. My information is on that as well. Perfect. You can search. Just search emergency management, Tacoma, Pierce County, state emergency management. There's there's a lot of information out there. We don't want this to be a secret for anyone. So just search disaster preparedness, fill in your the name of your town, and you'll probably get some good points of contact. Mine will be one of those, and I'll be happy to discuss any of these things further with anyone nice. who contacts me. Yeah, you were really easy to find, and then they had um, certain places all over the country. And some of them stood for different things. They had you know community or citizens. A lot of them had sure. different acronyms, but... Um, I found all kinds of them on there, so people should definitely look. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a class coming up, and like I said, okay, we, cool. we have about three three per year. We usually will do one privately. For example, we trained the security staff at Tacoma Community College oh, last nice. year. So we like to work with schools and some local businesses that okay, so have like, an extra interest. In if, yeah, if you're a business owner, it's uh, it, it, I, I don't want to say, oh, you should absolutely do this, but it feels like you should ha- you have a bit of an obligation to be doing this for your, your workers and for yourself because people spend more, I mean, it's you're not always at home and you're not always going to be dealing with your neighbors. You're going to be at work and sometimes it's going to be, you know, maybe you're opening the store and an earthquake happens or the windstorm shows up and uh, like at Wizards Keep Games, it didn't have any power. And he's like, I don't know what to do. And the go in the his poor Brogan's employee is like, I don't know what to do. And you're like, well, go home. You know, it's like one of those things. So it should be one of those because, I mean, essentially, you're spending a third of your life at work if you work a normal eight hour job and sometimes even more. Yeah, absolutely. And 40 percent of businesses fail after a disaster just due to oh. some of these preparedness issues, whether it's payroll or staff can't get back to work, whatever the case may be. There are many reasons. So definitely if you have a business out there, look into some planning. It's good to have some of these things in mind. And as you said, people often think that, you know, they're going to be home when this happens, but you're probably home half the time. So you want to have a little kit in your car. You might be on the side of the road in a nice storm. You are at work a third of your day at least. So you've got a third of a chance that yeah. so, it's going to happen there. So have, have a little bit and you'll see what your business has and you, you're going to want some personal supplies as well. And so when you, you talk about the, the preparedness on that, um, what do you think you should have in a car? I mean, I know if you're like going over the past, you want to have like the warm jacket and some blankets and maybe even have those just normally. Um, but in terms of like water or some and stuff like that, like, what do you recommend that people have in their car at all times just in case something happens? Yeah, and obviously you can't fill up your whole trunk with you know, your survival <laughs> yeah. kit. So, you know, we understand that we need to be realistic about it. But just I, I like to you know be, be practical. If you're on the side of the highway and it's 30 degrees out for eight hours, what are you going to want? Yeah. Probably going to want a little bit of food, have some granola bars, have several bottles of water, blankets for sure. I mean, food, water, and warmth, that can get you through a day for sure. So, nice. And flashlights, of course, you always want to have, but that's a good one. And if you have you know, an extra battery charger. There's Tacoma. <laughs> and a real fast car. <laughs> get a real fast car to get the hell out of there. Yeah, I mean, everyone has cell phones, so you don't want that to, to run out. So I like to recommend backup battery chargers, and that'll keep you keep you in communication that's with a really, people. That's a really good point, too. And I love the, the... Like, I just recently got a new battery charger, and it's one of those things that is like... I don't know. I 
you don't you're not going to have a plug in. You're not going to have these certain things that are going to be able to keep your car or keep your batteries running or like you can't keep your car running all the time or eventually you're going to have to not be able to do that. Yeah, you don't want to kill your battery that you're going to need just later to charge just your to phone. Watch YouTube. <laughs> right. But make your own decisions, but uh, you do something when you're parked on the side of the road for 3 hours. Man. Now, now what do you recommend when it is a home situation uh for supplies? Uh because I remember having the neighbors next door that their garage, the walls were canned food and bottled water. And I thought that was a bit excessive. But now now that I have a garage that has room, <laughs> I'm kind of like, you know, that really isn't a bad of an idea. I so. could be trapped in my house for a week. How much food could I eat? Yeah, absolutely. And we, like I said, we talk about two weeks ready. So have food and water and supplies for two weeks. And what that amounts to is a gallon of water per person per day for two weeks, which is a lot. Okay, that is a lot, yeah. That includes cooking, hygiene. You can survive on less. And in a pinch, there's water in your your hot water heater. That might be 50 or 100 gallons. Oh, I didn't Uh, even think about that. Eventually, if you've lost power, your your hot showers will be gone. You can just (laughs) drink that water if you need to. But, you know, a gallon per person per day. Don't forget about your pets. They're going to be right there with you. So have food and water for them as well. That's a good point with the pets, though, because... um, uh, the recent uh, the the recent fires in uh, Northern California. I was watching a comedian Whitney Cummings. She was on her uh, Instagram, and it was her doing kind of an all call. But she was like, "I am in this area. If you had to leave and you had to leave your pets." Send me a message, or if you know someone who did, send me a message so we can go and look at those. A lot of people, when they'll go, I mean, it, it sucks, but they're 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 saving themselves and sometimes leaving their pets behind. What do you do with pets in an evacuation scenario? Yeah, there we learned a lot from Hurricane Katrina. People mm. were not evacuating because they didn't necessarily have a place for their pets to go or a oh, way for their yeah. pets to be transferred or transported. So it's federal law now that. We in emergency management make accommodations for pets for evacuation awesome through the transportation and then when you get to a shelter sometimes you can shelter with your pet near your pet but we need to do something it just kind of depends on the facility so we need to make those arrangements but you also need to be prepared to leave with your pet so one good recommendation is you know if you have a crate Mm -hmm. don't throw your cat or dog in that thing for the first time when under a stressful environment you know if, if they're not used to riding around in that you know, yeah let them, let them hang out a little bit so when they're sensing your panic for example they're not going to reflect that they'll just think they're going for another drive and then they'll show up at the shelter or grandma's house or wherever the case may <laughs> be anywhere well, on that well that that's why i only have pets that i can eat oh so it, it, jeff, jeff smart dude. i mean yeah, that's what i'm just saying dude. i mean you're not technically wrong but also there's no way of meeting my cats you're just rude you're terrible you're <laughs> named, horrifying named your pig bacon <laughs> uh so if people do want to do this training uh you said a couple of times a year they're able to do so and all the information you'll if they want to they can just ask you for that sort of stuff yep it's right on the website you register i'll get a application directly and we fill it just based on uh you know first come first served Mm -hmm. technically have to give priority to city of tacoma residents but i just give them a weak head start and anyone else from neighboring (laughs) communities we'd rather have a full class than yeah you know because there are some areas that don't have these programs and if you're willing to drive and we've got space which we usually do 
like I said, I just have to give Tacoma priority, and then I'll be happy to take anyone willing to to join us. I'm pretty interested in this, and I think uh, I think my wife would be too. I figured you would be. Yeah, right? that's kind of yeah. why I got him because you're like, oh, I'm doing the neighborhood watch. I was like, oh, well, this yeah. will be perfect. So, so yeah, we're doing uh, working with the uh, the Safe Streets uh, guys, and uh, yeah, I am too. Oh, perfect! And then so what we uh, I mean, oh, just that you guys are all buddies. <laughs> it's like twice uh, or uh, the second Tuesday of every month, we have our neighborhood meeting, and a lot of the times it's just uh, unfortunately it's a lot of the older folk and and then us, and like we're the youngest ones there, and I'm not young at all. <laughs> like so, it's kind of that weird sort of thing. Um, it's like I, I don't know. Like is that maybe just a problem trying to get uh, the younger crowd interested in the whole neighborhood thing because everything is real macro right now, but people aren't necessarily looking into their own communities Dude, you're fearless when you're a kid you don't care <laughs> nothing's gonna happen to yeah you. and it, it's true i like i said i work with safe streets did a couple of presentations coincidentally with with some groups last week and it's often the the older crowd but once in a while you get you but you rarely see you know the college kids yeah you know. once but, in a while you get a boy scout filling out a badge <laughs> or whatever yeah, right? i think people are just busy i know my disaster plan when i was that age was probably just to walk to my you just don't Parents think about it a lot and, of times, right? Well, and yeah. I, or when they're thinking about it, it's the, and I hate to use the word romanticization for it, but it really is. It's like, oh, what are you going to do during a zombie apocalypse? Well, right. I'm going to go to Walmart, or I'm going to go to Dick's, and I'm going to go get all my stuff. And it's like, I don't necessarily think that those are solid plans anymore. <laughs> you don't think those work out? <laughs> no, I don't really think that's going to work out for you. <laughs> not at all. So you need to be prepared for not having a supermarket to go to not having your debit card work keep cash small bills and i will say back to the youth uh, children are much more prepared than i think we give them credit for when i run into some or we might do a little presentation somewhere young kids are pretty knowledgeable these days about what to do so by the time they're in college, maybe we'll have a little different take on it so i think hopefully (laughs) you always kind of hope for that i'll say i've been Uh i've been impressed they're 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 on it, especially up the valley where there's some you know, Lahar dangers from Mount Rainier. Yeah. Those kids are evacuating on a monthly basis. Well, and people from anywhere else don't even know what that is, right? Um, um, the Lahar. Could you explain that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, it's basically if there's a volcanic eruption, all that ice is going to instantly melt. And you can imagine that debris is going to flow down the river valleys. And basically it's just an enormous mudslide yeah we live right under a volcano yeah yeah puyallup hey you're going to be suddenly just covered in like all of that and you can you can look back at that uh at the uh the 80 helens eruption and you can see just the the rivers that were completely overflowed and all these lands that were just completely essentially just taken out because of all of this yeah you can see all the trees still up there you can just get a good sense of the force and power of that you know fortunately it wasn't too populated but you know our part of tacoma is built right on top of mud flow from rainier from wow. year 1504 or something like that wow that is a lot of information but uh we're actually not done yet with josh so this is part one of dealing with the cert which is the community emergency response team and uh next week we're going to have josh back on to give us some more information and bs some more uh and basically him dealing with all of our dumb questions <laughs> we made him sit for an hour over an hour talking so yeah yeah so this is it's a lot of fun so you guys keep 
checking this out. If you want to look at uh, more information, uh, we'll have all of the links on this episode and then the next one as well. Um, but it seems like this is something that if you're wanting to help your local community, uh, your uh, the people around you, this is a really good way to do that because disaster preparedness doesn't mean waiting for the big one, but sometimes it's just the small ones that you need to be ready for. So it's not turning into Lord of the Flies once uh, you have a minor earthquake. Yeah, at the very least, you take care of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, you're not going to be anybody else's a problem for anybody else. You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, that's a really good point on that. Like, don't be the burden for everyone on that burden. point. Good job. Ah. I love that you use words. I love those. <laughs> you guys, thank you so much for listening again. GritCityPodcast.com to find out all the information about how to contact us. If you feel that there's somebody who is super cool and uh, maybe a little strange that would fit right in for being on this show, let us know. Info at GritCityPodcast.com. If you would like to support us, please do so by going to Patreon. Again, all of these links are available right on the website. Uh, find us on the social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of that stuff. Yeah, and, and if you can't Patreon and, and you just tell a friend, man, if everybody just tell a couple friends, that's right? that's pretty awesome too. And and I mean, I get it. Like, uh, it's, it's expensive to live out there. Uh, we're just trying to make our way and have some fun uh, doing it while we're doing it. So any support, even if you just share it uh, amongst uh, like the fans or the communities or like any of the people that you know, uh, it's greatly appreciated. Yeah, we know you're trying to be cool and you don't want everybody to know what you like, but it's okay. <laughs> just tell them you like us. It's okay. Uh, again, thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, peace out. You've been listening to the Grid City Podcast. Check them out at gridcitypodcast.com. <laughs>